I want to welcome you this morning to The Way. Thank you for coming to be with us to worship on this Resurrection Easter Sunday. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, Real quick, I just want to give an update on our team that is in Africa right now proclaiming this same good news that we celebrate today. Um, I've heard back from them. They're they're actually back in the capital city of uh, Senegal, and they are um, just celebrating as they have seen two, possibly three, come to profess faith. They got to baptize one, and one of those believers, that's right, that's right, amen. One of those believers is actually one of the elders' wives. So um, God is working in big and miraculous ways over there to see his gospel go forward, to see the good news proclaimed, and people come to celebrate him, which today is what we come to do, right? Today we come to gather as the people of God to celebrate the very thing that makes us Christians, the thing that solidifies and establishes the gospel of Jesus Christ as truly good news. For today we gather to celebrate that the man, Jesus Christ, was more than just a man. He was more than just somebody who came and lived a perfect life on this earth, who never sinned, but he was, in fact, the God-man. Because while he did die a horrific death upon the cross, which we, res- we, we celebrated and worshipped just three days ago, he is not today still in the grave, but three days after his death, he arose. And that is why we gather to celebrate and rejoice today. Amen? So there is something in this story, though, something in the reality of Jesus Christ, this man who died and rose from the dead, that just stirs in our souls, that that speaks to something deeper, something that, that exists within the depths of our heart, like this hero at the end of the story that didn't actually die, but has come back to save the day. We're all searching for and rooting for this one who will come and overcome all odds to win. And so maybe today we're, we're thinking of a, a different story, like a, a romance story where we have these people who face all of these difficulties and these trials and these circumstances. And despite all odds, despite all of that, you find that the unlovable actually gets loved. Written at the heart of all of these great stories is something that stirs us. Something that moves us, something that resonates with our souls and makes us want to read it again or watch that movie for the 100th time, right? But what is it? What is it that makes us come back to those stories? What is it that makes us read year after year in schools stories like Romeo and Juliet, the greatest love story ever written? Or what is it that makes these comic book movies like Batman versus Superman or the Marvel's Avengers so absolutely enthralling to our culture and our society today? Why is it that these stories draw us in and leave us wanting more, thirsty for more? I think the reason stories like this inspire us and leave us thirsty for more is because in reality, we see in it our own story at some level. Maybe in the great love stories, we see someone who, much like us, is this unlovable person. They've done too much wrong. They're too messed up. They've sinned too greatly. If people only really knew what I thought or I felt, there's no way in the world that anyone could ever truly love me or care for me. 
I can and I will only ever be a burden that drags other people down with me in relationship. I mean, don't you just know how messed up I am? And yet, in these stories, so often we see someone who seems even more unlovable than us finding what we actually truly desire and want. They are wanted and they are loved and they find it. Despite all of their mistakes, despite all of their failures, they have found love, and it's incredible. It's something to celebrate. It's something to rejoice in, and that's why we come back to it. And as we watch these movies, immediately we begin to ask ourselves these questions. Could that be me? Is it possible that I could actually find that kind of love? If people my girlfriend, my boyfriend, even my spouse, whoever it might be, really knew how messed up I was, all the things I thought. Could they really, truly still love me? And so we root for stories like this because we want to be loved despite all of the wrong we know that is going on. Or maybe, like the hero stories, we kind of flip roles and we actually think instead of being the unlovable one, we're the hero. We watch as these men and women face enemies that seem unbeatable. And this object or this person that they're trying to save is too valuable, too loved. And and all the chips seem stacked against the hero. The villain is going to win. Nothing else is going to happen. But despite the trials, despite the hardships, despite all that seems to defeat this hero, they come out on top and put to death the enemy. They win. And that's what we want to be true of ourselves. We see the hardships and the difficulties of this life, and we just want to know that it can be overcome. We want to know that despite all of the pain, despite this unknown enemy that seems to win out and fight against us, we can come out the hero. But in the end, I think we realize that this story falls short. We want to be the hero, but for some reason, we never can seem to get the final victory. There's always a new villain. There's always a new enemy. We have not ever truly won. There's something more, something that is beating us out time and time again. And whether we really truly solidify the thought in our minds, I think there is an understanding in all of us that the reason we can't win is because we are actually the ones who fall short And the enemy may not be so much outside of us as inside of us. And we might not be so much the hero as the damsel in distress. And that's what this gospel story we come to celebrate is about. Because we are the damsel in distress. We are the unlovable one. But in 1 Corinthians 15, where we're going to be today, we're going to see a story that comes to be, that has come to pass, that is a reality that has come to fulfill all of our our desires. Because as Christians, we don't look at these desires in these stories, this desire to be loved, this hope for the unlovable, or this hero that will win at all costs. We don't look at these desires and try to squelch them or throw them away or put them to the side. Instead, what we do as Christians is we recognize that these desires are real and they are something that was put inside of us from creation, We recognize that we were made to experience and enjoy something so much greater. Something that tastes, that smells of real joy. Joy that 1 Peter says is inexpressible and filled with glory. 
And that is what we taste in these stories. It's what we truly want. And as Christians, we celebrate that today we have found that ultimately and completely in Jesus Christ. And today we gather to celebrate the moment in history that bought that for us. That has assured us that the desires of our souls, the things we really want deep within the depths of our hearts, can and will be satisfied once again. And it will be satisfied beyond our wildest dreams. Today, brothers and sisters, on Resurrection Sunday, we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because the gospel is true. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. It is the story that we all want to hear. The gospel is this matter of first importance, and I think that is why Paul begins 1 Corinthians 15 with this statement, saying this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." The gospel is this matter of first importance because it is in the gospel we find that which our soul truly desires and what we rejoice in today. And I mean today, not tomorrow, not in some day to come, not even when Christ returns, while that absolutely will be a day of great rejoicing. What the resurrection says is that we as Christians can celebrate and rejoice today in our present life because it has meaning. We can rejoice today because there's a future coming that is more fulfilled because the gospel we believe in is a story for which our soul is seeking and it has found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So today, Christian, our present life has purpose and it has significance because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. We're going to read verse 10 through 19. It says this of 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ did not actually raise from the dead, Paul says that our faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. The testimony of our lives, who we say God is and what he's done in our lives is actually misrepresenting God. It is empty. All that we believe is empty. We're still in our sins and everyone we know that has died is actually dead. And he closes out by saying that if the hope we have in Christ is only to be experienced and really known in this life because it's not true, then we of all people 
are most to be pitied. If it were true that Christ had not been raised from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Paul, in the very next verse, verse 20, cuts through this argument, trashes this reality by stating emphatically, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul says, Christ appeared to me. He appeared to the other apostles. He appeared to hundreds of others. Here's their names. They're still alive. Go ask him. Go see. He is not actually dead. He is alive. So, in fact, we as Christians are not the most to be pitied, right? He's asking this rhetorical, ironical question. We are not most to be pitied, but Christians, our lives are ones that should be most desired. What the resurrection of Christ did is prove that our faith, our lives, our God, all that we do on this earth are not in vain. We are not still in our sins this morning because of Christ. If at the end of your life, You did die, and as many atheist men and women believe, your body is in the ground decaying and dying for nothing left on the other side, then absolutely we are the most to be pitied. Why in the world would we go on to suffer for the name of Christ in this life if that's all we had to look forward to? Paul says in verses 30 through 32 in this same chapter, he says, why would we keep on believing that he rose from the dead if it just meant we were under the threat of danger every single hour? He says we should just eat and drink because tomorrow we die. Who cares? It doesn't matter if Christ didn't rise from the dead. But that isn't the case. In fact, Christ has risen from the dead. Everything you do now has significance. You have been saved by the grace of God. And like Paul says, by the grace of God, you are who you are. Grace bought you and paid for you. It's what, it was paid for you by the blood and death of Jesus Christ and solidified upon his resurrection. And now this grace is what defines you. It's what empowers you. Grace from Christ becomes for the Christian more than just undeserved goodness and mercy. While it absolutely is that, it becomes more than that. It becomes a purpose for us. Like that moment in the story that we think about that defines the course and the direction of the life of the character, some tragedy that changes everything they do and why they do it. Grace has come in and worked in our lives, and the grace of God so transforms us inwardly that it directs us outwardly. All of the relationships that we have, all of the friends and family that you have, all of the work that you do, whether it be in your yard in the mornings or whether it be in the office, all of the goals you set, your drive to work, when you put your head down on the pillow at night to sleep, all of that becomes moments for you to be a conduit of grace in this world. That others in this world might taste and see that the Lord is good that their soul might be enraptured and encaptured with the same glory and grace that so overtook your life that they see it and are changed by it, that they might glimpse and be awestruck by the glory of the grace of God. You, brother and sister, get to be an agent of transformation in this world. You have significance, you have purpose, you have meaning because the gospel is true. Your faith, your testimony about God through your life, they're not empty, they're not in vain but they are glimmers of the glory of God. You, brother and sister, God chose you and is working through you in this world to shine his glory, 
the glory from God in the face of Jesus Christ that this world blinded by sin and Satan, 2 Corinthians says, might see God. That they might know He is good. That they might come to Him. They might see how He intends for this world to be. You are an agent of transformation that this world might see that God is working and moving and how he intends it to be without sin. Because you see, God doesn't have plans one day to come and throw away all the things in this world and start over. But by his grace and the same power of the resurrection that he rose Christ from the dead with, he wants to redeem it. He wants to make all of this world new. You see, we don't just celebrate today that God has redeemed our meaning and significance in this life through the resurrection, but we rejoice today in a more fulfilled future because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Paul says in verse 35 through 36, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless... It dies. Skipping to verse 42, he continues by saying, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam. And notice there, it doesn't say second or the next one. It says the last Adam, the last one to come, became a life-giving spirit, Jesus Christ. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have, been, have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. For some reason in our culture today, we have gotten it into our minds that heaven is going to be pretty boring and dull. That when Christ returns and the new heavens and the new earth come, it's going to be kind of strange. That we might be babies in diapers playing harps upon the clouds. That is weird. Uh, I don't think so. Or maybe we're going to be some like ghostly spirit Uh, existence upon this earth like robots where um, we have no purpose or real meaning as we do the same thing day after day with no end in sight and no purpose. But what Paul is saying in these verses is that we need to get that idea out of our head. Heaven and the new earth is going to be greater and better than anything we could ever imagine. What you see sown in this life, our bodies, this world, all that you may know may be sown, like Paul says, in dishonor, in weakness. It may be perishable, but it's because sin has tainted and corrupted everything. Even this world and all that is created, it says in Romans 8, has been subjected to futility and it groans with pains due to our sin. Sin has affected everything. Sin is the problem. It is what has come into this earth and caused everything to begin to die. See, God didn't mess up when he made us out of matter, out of things. 
This world and all that's created aren't the issue. Sin is the issue. He didn't mess up when he made us with tongues that can taste. He didn't mess up when he gave us fingers with nerves in their endings that we might feel and touch and know. He didn't mess up when he gave us eyes to see and noses to smell and ears to hear. God didn't get it wrong when he did that. That has been the plan from the beginning. He made us exactly how he planned in this world, exactly how he planned, that we might know him, that we might experience him, that we might see his glory and experience it to its fullest. But sin has come in. And so where we were meant to eat and enjoy things like bacon, because bacon is awesome. Amen? And the enjoyment of this bacon, though, was not meant to end upon the bacon. Instead, God created us and the bacon that we might eat it and taste that the Lord is good. That it might create worship in us. That we might know it tastes so good because it is only a small taste of the goodness of our God. We are meant to enjoy things like that, but sin has crept in. And like a cold that has settled upon our souls and all that was meant to intake glory from this world and worship God with, it has settled over our souls and, and, and caused us, like a cold, to not be able to quite smell as good. And that causes things to not taste quite as good. And it causes our eyes to water and be blurry so we can't really see what's going on. And in the end, when we really eat it, all it does is make us nauseous, Right? And when we finally do get a small taste of something good amidst all that's going on here because of God, we finally see something that glimpses of beauty. These things that God has given us that we might glorify and worship Him and see and know that He is good become the God and lead us to worship the things of this earth and serve them as God. Sin has addled our brains, it has addled our hearts and caused us to worship created things rather than the creator God. The created things were not bad. Our sin has corrupted it. Like a character in the story that thinks they found the solution but in the end just makes things worse, right? You see that happen over and over again. They, they just make it worse. Sin has come in and messed everything up. But the resurrection of Christ in a physical body, what Christ promises, what God promises in 1 Corinthians 15 to resurrect a physical, spiritual body is proof that what he planned is what he is continuing with. This has always been the plan. When God sowed, he knew he was what he was going to reap. Jesus was resurrected to show that God hasn't come to make all new things, but he has come to make all things new. He has come that we might know in this life that everything might be more glorious, more beautiful, more incredible. And so God in the resurrection is not just showing us the way things were meant to be, but the way they will be again. And this future we have to look forward to that is more fulfilled than anything we can imagine. It's ultimately more fulfilled. It is not going to be more boring or dull. It will be greater and more amazing because it will be with God. He is the most interesting, most intriguing, most awesome being in this world. Heaven will not be boring because God will be there. And this bodily resurrection is proving 
that what we will experience will be greater than anything we know in this world. We will still have eyes and ears and mouths and noses and tongues. But instead of only producing dishonor and weakness and natural things, they will actually produce worship. We will see colors more vibrantly through our eyes because the sun no longer will be shining upon this earth, but the glory of God will be what lights our eyes, what lights everything in front of us. All that we truly long for and desire can and will be found in what is made because in the things that were created and are created, we will finally be able to see our creator. We will be able to eat and drink and do everything to the glory of God. It says in Revelation that God will be with us, that his presence, his face, we will see it. He will be with us. And Psalm 1611 says, In his presence we will find fullness of joy, and at his right hand will be pleasures forevermore. The things of this earth that you think bring pleasure and greatness, like sex and food and all the adrenaline rush you can get, are nothing compared to the eternal pleasures that are found in the presence of God at his right hand forevermore as he lives with us and us with him. He will be our God, not this world. And we will forever be his people. We will work with bodies we have, but they will no longer produce thorns and thistles. But our creativity and our ingenuity will produce worship and rejoicing. And we will sit and feast and celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And when we put the food that is created in our mouth, we will finally once again taste that the Lord is good. And God will wipe every tear from our physical eyes as we will experience in our new bodies no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, and no more death. For that was a body made in the image of the man of the earth, the man of dust. But we will be made new. Sin will no longer mar and scar our bodies, but they will bear in their fullness the glory and the image of the man of heaven. And we will join all of creation in reaping of something not different, but something greater and something better that is to come. This is what we have to look forward to. This is something truly to rejoice in, a future that is fulfilled because we will be in the presence of God. In all of this, our present significance, our purpose and our meaning founded and bought by the death and resurrection of Christ, the future we have to look forward to where we will actually live with God and sin will no longer be a problem because he will have eradicated it from this earth finally. All of this is bought in this greater and better story that stirs our souls. The thing that we are looking for is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love how Paul wraps up the celebration of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 with the gospel. He began it by telling us in its fullness and he ends it here at the end of chapter 15 by telling us what it has accomplished, what it has won, what it will fulfill. Because this glory of the resurrection that we celebrate today is just a part of the much greater story and glory of the gospel that he has won. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 50 verse 50 starts with this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood 
cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is ending and finishing here today, brothers and sisters, by saying we celebrate and we rejoice in a more glorious gospel. A more glorious story because Jesus has risen from the grave. The gospel we believe in, the good news of Jesus Christ, is only good news because Jesus did not stay dead. He was not like men of this earth. He was not like prophets of other religions. He was, in fact, God, the God-man. And after dying for our sins, the sins that we committed, not him, after dying for our sins, God rose Jesus from the dead vindicating who he was and all that he came to do, which is save us, right? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Paul says. There is no amount of good work that you can do. There's not enough good you could put in your own account to inherit the kingdom of God because your sin has tainted everything down to the core of who you are. It has corrupted it so that we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. All we can produce in this body, in this life, is perishable and mortal things. But in the resurrection, Jesus Christ, Paul says, has won us the imperishable, the immortal. He has won us the kingdom of God. It's like the stories we love so much that, that come to show us that the unlovable can actually be loved. That the hero can come and win over the enemy. He can have the final victory, but it is better than any movie you will see on a screen. And it's better than any story you can read on a page, just on a page, because it's something that can be had for each and every one of us. This story is, can be part of our story. We can be the loved, unlovable one. We can be the one who is saved from a life of death and hell and torment. We can have this because of Jesus Christ. He has brought us God. And God does not hold back but lavishes all of these things, love and life upon us eternally. I mean, isn't that what we've discovered today? Isn't this what Paul has been trying to say throughout all of this chapter? This life we have is meaningful. It is significant because it is once again lived through God, for God, and by God. This life we have to look forward to in heaven with our new resurrected bodies is something to truly look forward to because it will be with God. 
He is the one who will bring the fulfillment. He is the one who will make it incredible. God is the reason our resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something to celebrate today. The victory of Jesus Christ in the gospel is a much more glorious, more incredible story because of what it won for us. It won us back God. The death that we claim victory over, that Paul claims victory over in the end of these verses, is not the death in this life because every single one of us, whether we're bought by Christ or not, will die. But the sting of death that we claim victory over is the sting that separates us eternally from God. The one that puts us in hell, separated from his joy and his goodness, only to know Torment and pain and agony the rest of our lives, lonely for eternity, away from God. That is what we claim victory over today. Sin is gone. And God is who we have. He is the glory of the gospel. He is actually what our soul desires most. In every way, the gospel story is a better and greater story. The one we want to hear, the one we want to be true of our lives. I don't know today what story you're coming to look for, but maybe today you're coming to look for this story that you live of acceptance. Maybe your story is one of burden and struggling. You have tried for so long to just do the right thing, to say the right thing. You have gone to church. You have, maybe you've read your Bible. You've not said any cuss words. You've lived this pretty good life. But at the end of the day, you're just tired. You're worn out because you feel like it's never enough. Everyone looking in might see something that looks good. They might see somebody from a story they would look up to. But on the inside, you're just exhausted and ready to throw in the towel. You are ready to just give up and do something else. Or maybe today you're here because you have already given it up. And you're just showing up out of routine, out of habit. I want you to know something today. The story of the gospel says this. You never have and you never will ever live up to this standard that you're trying to reach. And it's known. You can't do enough. It will never be enough. You won't ever get it all right. You won't ever figure it all out. And God knows that. Jesus Christ knew that. That is why he came. That's part of the gospel story. But in the gospel of Jesus, there is something called grace Grace that forgives your failures and then actually puts Jesus' perfectness, his living, his rightness before God in our place so that when God looks at us, he no longer sees all the mess-ups and the wrongs we have done. The sin that has corrupted everything is gone. What he sees is Jesus Christ in his holiness, in his perfection. You today can and are brother and sister, accepted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those of you that are seeking for acceptance in your story, it can be yours today. All you have to do is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave and it can be yours. Or maybe today you come looking for hope. Maybe today you come saying, I recognize that I haven't got it all right. 
I've screwed it all up. In fact, my sins and my my screw-ups, all that I've done wrong, they are what defines me. Maybe you have an addiction that has torn apart your soul and your heart. Or maybe at the hands of another, you have experienced sin and abuse. And you feel like you're bloodied and battered and beyond redemption. I want you to know today, because of the resurrection and the gospel, there is hope. There is real, genuine, honest hope. God is not done with you today. He has not come to make all new things, but come to make all things new. You are not too far from the grace of God to come and redeem you and make you new this morning. There is no amount of sin that can win over the grace of God. You can be made new in your heart and your soul this morning. No amount of sin can keep him away. He has come and there is hope. All you have to do is believe. And every scar, every hurt, every pain, Jesus will know. He knows them. He will heal them. He will make you new. He loves you. He wants you to come to him today and be made new. Maybe today your story is one of seeking for intimacy. Maybe you come today having tons of relationships and friends, but realizing that at the bottom of it all, you're really still lonely. There never seems to be enough love enough intimacy in the people you know or even in the person on the computer screen that you look at. You feel rejected and alone. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has come today to say that you can be united in him. That the loneliness you feel can be assuaged and found and solved and satisfied in Jesus Christ. Because when you come to believe in him, he has sent his spirit to us. That we might be united with him in mission, in purpose, in love, in unity with the Father, with him. That we might live for his glory and his goodness. Jesus Christ has come and he has been resurrected. That we might have hope of intimacy, of life with him, of a united life with Christ. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You never again have to experience loneliness or rejection from God because Jesus Christ has come that you might be united to God. The truth is is that in every way the gospel story shines with greater glory than all the stories of this world. Because in it our greatest longings and desires are met in God. They have been validated upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is true. And at the end of this story, there is a happily ever after, but it is greater and better than the happily ever after of the fairy tales that we read. Because behold, I tell you, a mystery. There is a day coming when the trumpet will sound and in the twinkling of an eye, we will stand before the creator but we will not come without an advocate. We will not come without an intercessor. We will come before our God with the living and the breathing God-man, Jesus Christ, at our side. 
And in the moment that us, the mortal, put on immortality and our perishable bodies become imperishable in Jesus, we will be able to cry with triumph, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we celebrate and we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because the gospel is true. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and he has come to save us from our sins that we might live with God forever and he will continue to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ for all eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we come and we rejoice with you. We rejoice in you today because Jesus Christ is not dead in a grave, but he has risen. We rejoice and we celebrate today because we have been saved. We are the unlovable ones and you have come to love us. We are in distress and pain and hurting in this world, but you have come to rid this world of sin and make all things new. And we celebrate and praise you today on this Easter Resurrection Sunday that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and he has come to save us. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you have accomplished. Thank you for the love you have bestowed and shown to us today. We celebrate and we worship today in spirit and in truth because of his grace. Thank you for the story of the gospel and thank you that we get to be a part of it. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.